Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast. We got a good one for you today. I'm Prue Warren, representing uh, less experienced writers. And hooray, I'm here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Meredith Bond, uh, the voice of the elderly. <laughs> <laughs> and we're very happy today because we have as our guest, author Meg Napier. Hi, Meg. Hey, ladies. There you go. Um, Meg and I are both sort of at the same level. Meg, you've got two books published and a novella. Is that right? Yes, two books and a novella. And I represent being both less experienced as a published writer and elderly. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Our one listener is like 25 going, why am I listening to these people? Um, (laughs) We've invited Meg to come on because there are so many frustrations, but also reasons to celebrate when you work on becoming an author. And I wanted to talk to Meg because she and I often have lunch and and talk about uh, the things that uh, that make us crazy. Oh, and, and I want to hear. I want yeah. to hear what is it that makes Prue Warren even crazier than she is? Please, everything. <laughs> Everything makes me crazy. But first, let's begin on an optimistic note. Let's begin on a positive. Meg, tell me what you like most about writing. What I like most is getting the words of the stories that are in my head down on paper and getting them in a format that other people can read and get some joy out of. I dig. Okay, so let me ask you, do you, are your stories complete before you start to write? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you think of, I'll say, a huge Lego project, my stories are complete in that you can see the box. You can see the box, but you have really no idea what's inside. The box has concrete edges. And, but exactly. You know the end? No idea. I, I, well, I write romance. Right. So one always more or less knows, I more or less know the end. Yes. And I know if I know who my main characters are, which I always do when I start out, I know, I I know they're going to end up together and they're going to end up at least happily for now or happily ever after. So I do. Oh, I always know that. Yes. But beyond that, um, I keep most of my story details live in a number three or number four pencil. And I don't, I don't know what they're going to be until my pencil moves across the paper. So do you literally write longhand, Meg? I literally write longhand and I literally write with pencils that I have to special order. Because if you write with a number two pencil and you write across a sheet, your your hand will will eventually smudge the the it's not ink, but the writing. A number three or a number four pencil, they're harder. The writing is is it's um it smudges far less, and that's just what I'm comfortable with. So that's what I do. And then you type it all up at the end. 
Not at all. No. Part of my process is I'll write. Um, I'll, I'll write one morning and then the next morning I type up what I have written. And that way um, I edit while I go. Um, and it both keeps me from having to make drastic changes at the end because literally I do edit. I change whole, whole paragraphs, whole sentences. I change, um, I'll change words um, and word choices. I mean, you know, vocabulary, I'll choose different vocabulary words. And, and also that way it, 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 uh, it allows me to really keep stay involved in my story. Cause I found, you know, if I wrote for long periods of time and I don't know how people do it, who just sit and type, 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 then, then I lose track of what I wrote a few pages ago. Whereas this, there's constant reinforcement of where I am, what I, what I'm doing, what my characters are doing. So for me, that's, that's what works best. There's a cat going up the ladder behind you. It's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> I wasn't going to point that out. <laughs> Our listeners that. can't see the cat. They may at some point hear the cat or the dog or the. <laughs> I think that's really. Interesting. I think your process is really interesting because I know of writers who are almost paralyzed as they're writing because they feel like they have to get it right the first time. But your system seems really clever to me because you know that when you're writing in pencil, this is getting the outline. You'll have a chance to come back later and polish it. Right. I think that's really when it's all done, do you go back a second time and edit it? That's what I was about to ask. No, of course. And not only that, but I often, for instance, I always, I've so far, I've always written in alternating points of view. So, you know, one chapter will be in the female's point of view. The next chapter will be in the male's point of view. Before I start a new chapter, I'll always go back and read the previous time that character's point of view was was foremost. And, you know, I edit then again. So it's it's a constant editing process while I reread and while I continue on. So how much how well do you know your characters before you begin? Do you have a general idea of where they're going, of what their story goal is? I have a general idea. And I do, I do, I I keep the ideas of goal, motivation, and conflict in my mind at all time. Um, you guys not to, I listened to your podcast uh, with Mary Jo Putney recently, who said, you know, that was all sheer nonsense in her mind. Um, and, and there's a small part of me that thinks that too. But I also, I do when I'm go, when when I'm when I'm starting, even when I'm writing, I'm, it goes through my mind um, what the long term goals of each con of each of each character are. Um, and I try to keep in mind their their motivations, their conflicts. I write right now. I'm primarily writing romantic suspense. So the conflicts are often external and then they, how they affect them internally. So, um, but yeah, I have an idea of my characters, but they always do surprise me. Are you going to ask? Yeah. I was going to say that you and I have been talking a lot about um, the, uh, the, the internal critic, the, the voice that says you're not doing it right, or you can't do that, or you can't accomplish that. (laughs) <laughs> and you need to edit it and edit it and edit it and edit it. But I think your system sounds really kind of, you've almost trained your brain when you're writing with pencil. There's no internal critic. Leave me alone. I'm just writing. You can have your chance later. I That's that. true. And, and then I find as I go back, as I type up what I've written, the, the, the editor that's in me 
the internal copy editor and 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 content editor sees things that I think could be improved, and I get to change them right as I go along. Whether it's you know word choices, word echoes, uh, things like that. And so, it, it to me, it's it's I can't imagine writing any other way. Do you change your plot as you're going along? Do you figure out plot points because you're writing suspense? Um, I write suspense, but I write it. I, an overarching suspense. So for instance, my novel second act, there was a murder that's, that, that literally happens on the first couple pages of the book in front of a huge audience. It's a, it's, it happens during a ballet performance. So that storyline continues. There are other incidents of violence that, 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 that the perpetrator can, is obviously is um, doing and, and that perpetrator has to be caught. But in terms of the actual small details of what happens, th- those surprise me. They surprise me continually. So, and but you knew the- who did it from the beginning. I knew who did it from the beginning. And the, the, the novel that I'm working on now, the suspense is the, the hero is, is a, a fi- very important world figure wants this hero dead. And so I haven't completely figured out how he's going to get away to the point that he never has to fear again, because that's that's one of the overarching storylines in this book, that even if he can survive today, he'll still be in danger tomorrow. And I haven't quite figured out how to completely resolve that issue, but I know it's there. So. <laughs> Good luck. It's, it's in my pencil, so it'll come out. Sorry, Pooh. By yourself as a pantser or a planter or a plotter? A planter, definitely a planter. planter. Yeah. Mary, you had a really cool post on Facebook. I'm looking at it right now where you had the um, Dungeons and Dragons grid, which is lawful, neutral, and chaotic. Lawful pantser, lawful planter, lawful plotter, and characteristics that made you who you are. And I thought it was really interesting. If you're a planter, Meg, I'm going to read you these three options, and you say whether you're lawful, true, or chaotic. (laughs) A lawful planter knows the ending and writes towards it, loves to world build, uses character bios, and has definitely taken personality tests for their characters. Now you're shaking your head. Okay, a true planter starts an outline, goes off script, ends up in unexpected places, but that's okay because this is more interesting anyway. And the chaotic planter, has an idea of the plot when they start, who writes things down, has to assemble scenes into a Franken draft. I'm somewhere between a true and a chaotic. There you go. I do have to tell you, even when I was in school, back, you know, you think about your ninth grade English class and you had to write an outline before you wrote the final paper. Yeah. I always cheated. I could never do it. I have never I, been able to physically I wrote, I wrote the paper and then I wrote the outline. Because then they would have. The whole idea was absurd. <laughs> so that, that has never left me. <laughs> I love the content in your voice. But now I am a lawful plotter. I'm a full on plotter and I write character bios. I'm a full on plotter. And Mary, I've heard about you. I've yeah, heard about I'm also. I've listened to lectures on, on, on the benefits of doing that. It's gone through my mind. Huh, that's an interesting idea. Then I haven't done it. <laughs> There's no reason for you to change. There's virtually no reason. The way you write is the way you write. Anybody who tells you differently is a fool. It's a fool. I, 
I agree. I completely agree. Although as a book coach, I can tell you it's really, really hard to coach somebody who is a pantser because they're just going and, and, you know, there's no stopping them and you can only coach them after it's done (laughs) because they don't know when it's going to end. Mary, I am full of admiration for what you and I've, I've met a couple other book coaches do. And I think you, you, you provide a tremendous service to writers um, who need that, that uh, support and that guidance. I personally cannot imagine going to a writer's coach. It's like, if I didn't know what I was writing, I'd do something else, right? Why would I be wasting my time doing this? I'd learn to knit or ride a unicycle or something else, you know? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's, this is like, there are so many different ways exactly. for people to write. There are so many different ways. Yeah. Meg, now to the negative. What do you hate most about being a romance novelist? absolutely hate the idea that I have to sell my ideas, my books to other people. So do you call that marketing? Do you say marketing? Uh, Yeah, marketing, um, self-promotion, all of that. You know, I just want my books to be lying around in the street. People pick them up and they read them and they think, oh, this is wonderful. I want to buy more. You know, if I had a million dollars, I'd put one of my novels in every one of those little, what do you call the little book libraries that are on corners? Right, the free libraries. Yeah, free libraries. And then, uh, you know, hope that people would find them and enjoy them and then maybe look for more. But uh, that would be my idea of market. Do you set a goal? Do you say I am successful if I've sold $100 worth of books? Do you do you how do you how do you decide? How no. will you know when you get there? <laughs> I, I, I think I think I'll know because it'll be the difference between night and day. <laughs> so I think it'll happen overnight. Yeah. I I just said that the difference between night and day for me, if this has been a really low gray gradient of from, from uh, night to soon it will be dawn and here's the dawn's coming and now wait a little while longer. The the concept of it'll be night and day is far, far beyond me. Um, I'm never going to get to day. I'm going to be in a perpetual glooming twilight, but that's okay. I think you need to redefine what success is. I mean, actually, at this point, I'm happy if I hear from a reader somewhere who says he or she really enjoyed my book. And that, well, that's that's okay. that, that does it for me. This is not going to be my path to, to, to wealth and prosperity. So, um, it's so okay. you're indie published and do you publish on multiple platforms? I publish, as far as I know, on almost all the platforms. <laughs> you know, I speak from ignorance. I, I fill out all. The, I do all of the uh, the different gimmicks on uh, Ingram Sparks and Book Digital and everything else that um, Apple and all of those things. And so I, ah. I, in theory, I and I hope in reality, my books are available everywhere. There you and go. I and do you have a newsletter? I, I do have a newsletter. I'm not good at sending it out with great frequency, but I do know that my books, you can get them at some of the local libraries. They do have them on Overdrive. That's excellent. I read some of the instructions on how to price for Overdrive. And I looked at them and I said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the way I want to do it because I'm not looking to make a profit from my Overdrive books. I'm looking for people to be able to find my books if they want to. So, So you're cheap on Overdrive. I'm very cheap on overdrive. Yeah. 
So, but I think this is interesting because I was talking with noted author Mindy Kalaski about the fact that I, my paperback books were um, quite, well, I thought they were expensive. $9.95 seems like a ridiculous amount to pay for a paperback. Um, she said, you know, books are costing $14, $15, $16.99. And if you price it less, people automatically assume they have less value. She said, if you don't value your books, why would someone else? So I, I well, only offer that to confuse you even further, Meg. You know, it's, so, again, it's, it's how it's one's perspective going into it. I look at it in that I am a person who prefers all things being equal to read in print. So, Prue, I have all of your books in print on my bookshelf. They're awesome. They're, they, they're lovely color. They're, their design comes out on their spine, so they look fantastic there. Um, <laughs> you're four wonderful books. However, in general, if there's an author I like and I she has a new book, he or she has a new book out in print, um, you know, I have a limited budget. So I'm often very stymied. What do I do? Because I don't really want to add the book to my ebook collection because I tend not to read them very often. Mm -hmm. And yet, if I can't access the paperback book, then I won't read that book. And yet, some of them, I, mean, I can't justify spending $14.99 on a book that Me I'm either. going to read for a couple hours and then probably put in the library donation pile. Ridiculous. So I, 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 you know, I see that I see. I see the reality and the justification in, in raising your book prices. On the other hand, if my goal is to allow as many readers as possible to enjoy my work, it's, it goes, it's contrary to, to, to that principle to price them as high as I can get away with. You're right. I agree with you. That's a very good, you've got a good yeah. perspective. Have you thought about doing KU instead of going wide on all the platforms? Yeah, except... I, I I don't think I could ever do it just because I am the type of reader. Again, I like to have my books in my hand or I like to know that they're there whenever I might want them. And KU, you put your books on, you take them off, you know, people, I, to me, it's, 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 I don't have a KU subscription myself because I don't like the idea that the, I'm only borrowing the books. So I don't want my books to be in that category. Okay. All right. All right. There are aspects of KU that continue to confuse me, but I, my, my understanding is if you have your book in KU and someone does not have a KU subscription, they can still buy your book for $2.99 or $3.99. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. That's true. You're right. And, you're, you're absolutely right. And if you, uh, if you want print, you can be in KU and still print your books on Amazon as well as Income Spark. It's only limiting you to the ebook. Mary's nodding. Right. Great. Yes. Right. Very and again, I don't want to limit myself that way. Okay. Yeah. So, All right. But those two, nook, those two Nook readers in the world that have read my book, I want them to be able to read my next book as well. <laughs> I just, I just yesterday signed up for something called Scribe Count. And where I tell it where I'm selling my books and it goes and counts for me what I've sold and where, um, wow. which is really nice. And apparently when you sell books a few, as few as I do, it's free. So wow. write that down. 96% um, of my books go through Amazon. Oh, yeah. So I'm thinking about doing KU for my next series because I'm going to piss off 
one or two people on Apple and one person on Kobo. But I think I'm going to, anyway, I'm going, I'm going to, but since Meg's whole purpose is to disseminate her books as widely as possible to have as many possible people as possible to read them, then I think it really makes sense what she's doing. There you go. There you go. The voice of wisdom, the voice of wisdom applauds you, Meg Napier. All right. Thank you, Mary. (laughs) Okay. Can we go back to um, marketing though? Because I think marketing is perpetually fascinating and like absolutely un- comprehensible, incomprehensible. I'm working on Amazon ads myself at the moment. They make no sense at all. What have you done? Has anything been successful? Uh, What are your limitations? What are your hopes for marketing, Meg? So one of my New Year's resolutions in theory, again, was to apply my mind more in a more disciplined manner to actually paying attention to marketing. I attend workshops on Facebook ads. I attend workshops on Amazon ads. I've even listened to some of your podcasts on marketing. And it all sort of goes in one ear and out the other. I make nice little notes that I then ignore. Um <laughs> I get lots of newsletters that uh, from from different authors, um, and some of them list their or or detail their methods of organization, how they attend to marketing details, how they attend to their newsletter, and all that. And I I read those and I think, wow, I wish I had that self discipline. And then I pick up my pencil and I go back to my story and I forget about it for the day. Um, so. <laughs> so Again, in theory, at some point, I hope maybe I will apply myself and pay more attention. I did one course on Amazon ads last year. God, the presenter was full of enthusiasm. I listened to him. I wrote down his instructions. I followed them to the word. I put an ad in. It stayed up for a month. In all honesty, I don't think I sold a single book. Wow. (laughs) So... Um, now I didn't spend a lot of money, you know. I think I limited it to five dollars a day or whatever it was because you I don't have, limit it to five dollars. That doesn't seem I don't, well. I don't have funds to throw at this. You guys did an interview some with someone uh, a couple weeks back who was talking about twenty dollars a day on this ad and so forth. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, once, once you've reached a certain mark and you have a certain amount of income coming from your books, then you can justify that. Um, you know, at this point, I don't, I don't have that. And um, I'm just not, I'm not. And then again, I've had other people tell me have a bigger, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I can't even think of the word I'm looking for. Um, I don't, I I only have two books out, two books and a novella. And then we have uh, the anthology that you guys both participated in. Um, Love Gone Viral, I'll put a plug in for that. Yes, Uh, all the proceeds. Love Gone Viral was a book that we put out at the very beginning of the epidemic, of the pandemic. And all the proceeds, every time I sell a book, we we put the donation. I don't sell the book, but anytime any of our authors um, sells the book, uh, I make the donation for all the proceeds to Feeding America or World Central Kitchen. So thank you for doing it. Copies of that are still selling. That's fantastic. So um, we sold one this week. You know, I look at that. I'm like, wow, somebody looked up one of us and saw, or or we have two other authors who are with us and, and felt, you know, inclined to buy the book. So that to me is wonderful. That's Um, excellent. 
Yeah. That's excellent. Well, what about the newsletter? How often would you like to put your newsletter out? You know, probably once every two weeks or so, I think would be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mary, how often do you do yours? I do mine once a month. In fact, I was just spending my morning putting together my, my newsletter. It goes out on the 15th of every month, no matter what day of the week that is, no matter anything else. It always goes out on the 15th. I do mine in two waves because before Apple shut down, whether or not you could see if anybody was opening your email, I had identified 85 people who always opened my email. So they get an email once a week and then everybody else gets an email once a month. So I'm just curious, Prue, how is how are you getting that information from Apple? Is that I'm not getting it from Apple. I'm getting it from my um my what email service provider. That's its official okay. name. I remembered it. Right. Uh, I use Active Campaign. So I go on to Active Campaign and I say how many people opened it? And it says 22% or 73% or whatever. And then Meg, you'll laugh. I only had I don't know, 450 subscribers. So I literally clicked every single name to see who was opening and who wasn't. And it was, you know, it was, it was an exercise in stupidity. But by doing that, I went, here are 85 people who open every single time. So I have now, but I still have my inner file called the glorious magnificent ones. And they always open. And their open rates are more like 60 or 70%. And when they mail to all 500 people, uh, I'm at 20 to 25% open rates. And there's also Google Analytics that you can use if you set that up to see who opens and where they are and who they are and so on. I don't use it. I used to a long, long time ago, but it's there. For those who are more capable than we are. Yes. Listen, you should use it. None of us use it, but you should use it. Because if you like statistics and you like to know who your readers are and whether they open and so on and so forth, then that's a good tool to use. Excellent. Excellent. That's very, that's very wise. Thank you, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Meg, do you worry about what to put in your newsletter? Is that what slows you down? No, it's it's literally just um, devoting the time to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm one of these people who I you know again, organ time organization in general is is a is a beautiful concept to me. Um, totally foreign, <laughs> but a beautiful concept. You know, <laughs> I my day gets wrapped up in in long dog walks, in 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 you know food preparation, in 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 laundry, in things like that, and and then when I have time. Um, to devote to my craft, I want to devote it to my craft. So then, you know, if if I'm going to spend time composing uh, a newsletter, which I do enjoy, you know, I it, it it probably means I won't get that many words written that day. And um, you know, I'm also this foolish type of writer. I write writer suspense. I, I write romantic suspense. I only find out what's going on in my story if I keep writing it. So I, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you keep yourself in suspense. Yes. <laughs> Yes. No. There you have it. <laughs> I get caught up in my story. So if you're pulling away from me, away from my story, I get angry. I don't know what's happening. There you go. There you have it. When you have a great book that you're reading, you don't want to be interrupted. This is even better. 
Yes. This is coming right out of your brain, mainlining out of your brain. It's like black tar heroin. So addictive. I suspect that you are the voice of many, many listeners. I bet there are, are quite a few listeners going, that's just like my life. I think you are not alone at all. I think that's very, very standard. The last, the last hat that we wear as indie authors is actually physically publishing. And one of the great things about having Meredith as my co-host is she literally formats books. How have you, how have you found the, the, the actual publishing aspect of being an indie author? You know, I use a, I don't use Scrivener as so many writers do. I, I use a program for Macs primarily that's called Ulysses. And I also use Vellum. And I found the combination of the two make the actual production of the books relatively easy. Um, the formatting relatively easy. And I, again, it would have to be easy for me to be able to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if anybody is using Mac operating systems, those two, and have have uh, ideas of, of, of hoping to self-publish, that combination makes it virtually foolproof speaking as a fool. So there you have it. Um, it is the, the actual, I, I do find sometimes the, the final steps when you have your cover and everything is ready and you upload it, whether it's to Amazon or to Ingram Sparks or to Books to Digital, whatever, that last moment when you have to make it all just fit and you get red lines on your screen and you're thinking, okay, or they throw out words, you know, bleeding and stuff. I understand it a little bit, but not completely. So those, those last couple seconds sometimes throw me into a complete panic and those seconds stretch into days at times when I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, what do I need to do to make this work? And I get very, very frustrated, but those little tiny lines aside, it's, I found it relatively easy. Um, you're designing your own covers now, aren't you? Are you? I have, yes. Wow. Yes. I'm impressed. Uh, I mean, my last cover, I worked, I worked with a photographer um, and she did beautiful. She, she and I actually threw the design back and forth together. I, we, you know, she had some ideas. I had some ideas and me, but in the end it was, it was, you know, I did it. I don't necessarily recommend that. The Washington Romance Writers had a workshop recently with uh, an author who is also a marketer. And she was talking about uh, keeping uh, a theme consistent throughout all your book covers. And that's something I, I, I very much would like to do in the future. So I don't know if when I bring out my next book that I'm working on now, um, which is the romantic suspense, and it's going to be called Second Stanza. I don't know if at that point I will try to do a redesign for all my books so that they there is some kind of thematic consistency. All my titles do have second in them. Uh, and so if there's a way I can can translate that concept into something visual, even though the stories are very different. Um, well, second stanza know. is a follow-up to second act though. You've got you've got other characters from the original book, right? It's 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 not a follow-up really in, except the fact that it's a romance and there's a suspense in it. Um, oh, but it's, it's, not, it's no, I was in fact, pre, are you right? I had been working on a book that was a follow-up that, that carried on some of the characters, same characters. And I have put this, I've put that aside to work on this other book, second stanza, which is in a completely different world. It has okay. nothing to do with ballet. There is music in it. Hence the stanza. Stanza. Very um, nice. 
Good but, word. Just a good yeah. word. Yeah. And will look pretty in typography too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice any um, difference in sales when you did your cover change for second act? Unfortunately, no. Because it's a beautiful fight, but they haven't. Yeah. Your um, your original cover, I think, was you didn't you weren't particularly happy with it, and the new cover is stunning. It's just beautiful. Well, thank you. And it's yeah. a very good story, so I can personally recommend it. <laughs> Read on, listen. Thank you, Prue. You're talking about the second act, which is which is a story that takes place in the ballet world, and it's the second. Uh, the idea of second act is both the second act of a performance and the second act in life. So. Um, and yeah, it's the ballet theme is much better presented on the new cover. There's a beautiful picture of a dancer in point. And uh, so That's yeah. very pretty. Very nice. Uh, do we have final thoughts on being the uh, beginning author? I personally have found as an author that one of the greatest things in this world that we live in is the generosity of established writers. You know, Mary has been here from the beginning, sharing wisdom. I know you talk to to Mindy Klasky a lot, Prue, and she shares her wisdom. When you know, when we first put out our anthology, I just sent cold, cold emails to tons of authors, and so many of them responded and gave me little tidbits, little ideas. And in general, you know, when we have workshops and so forth, experienced writers tend to be so gracious in sharing their experiences, what they've learned. And I, I think that's the greatest thing about being a romance writer. You know, I've, I, I cold, I, I write fan mail, fan girl email to writers very frequently. And I've been astounded by how many of them have responded personally. And it's just a wonderful community. So That's outstanding. I second that wholeheartedly. You're exactly right. Meredith, you are leading the way. I'm not. I am following in the footsteps of others who taught me when I was in exactly the same position as you, because that is exactly how I learned this business and how I learned everything that I know. I learned it from going to talks, from reaching out to other authors, from being a member of the Washington Romance Writers and the Beaumont and other writers groups. That's how I learned. And so I am following in the footsteps of others. I got handed this gift from other well-established writers. And then I hopefully am turning around and, and helping those behind me. Meg and I are going to do the same thing when we have. Yes, we you know are. Share that knowledge. Yes. That's, that's how we go on. Next week, we're reaching Beyond the romance world, Meredith, I have a really good friend. His name is Chuck Hall. He is an internet security expert, like with like top secret clearances. He's going to come on and talk to us about how we can uh, be aware of the world around us. He's going to scare us shitless. I don't know if he's going to scare us. We'll see. He's a very good (gasps) guy. But anyway, that's next week. Meg, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts with us because you're right on every turn. You're just right. (laughs) Thank you you so much, Meg. Thank you both. Thank you for having me. Meg Napier is the author of Second Act, Second Sight, and the short story Second Drop. And what was the novella? You can't remember either. It has the word second. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
Well, it's in Love Gone Viral, which is available everywhere. And Meg, what is your, how can people find you online? MegNapier.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I think on Twitter, I'm Meg Napier author. Um, but anywhere, MegNapier.com is where my website is. So, And it's N-A-P-I-E-R. Yes, it's N-A-P-I-E-R. Yes. Thank you. Good. Thank you so much, Meg. Thank you, Meg. Welcome. Thanks I'll for talk- having me. I'll talk to you next week, Mary. All right, Brew. Bye. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week.